morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. We're absolutely delighted to have you join us today for this FS Club webinar, Cryptocurrency, the Parallel Financial World. This truly is a subject which, judging from the attendants and attendees we've got, uh, is close to everyone's uh, heart and interest, and maybe even wallet. So we're delighted that you can join us today. My name is Hugh Morris. I'm a senior research partner here at ZN, and it's my pleasure to be able to chair this event today. And I can only do so due to the generosity of our sponsors, who allow us to range widely and freely across technology, economics, and finance. So my job today is to get out of the way as soon as possible and hand over to our speaker, uh, Cynthia Wu, now, some housekeeping notes. The slides are available to download in the chat and on the website. We'll be holding a 20-minute Q&A at the end of uh, Cynthia's presentation. Uh, do use the GoToWebinar chat facility to send your questions in to me. Uh, I will then moderate the conversation afterwards. Now, due to uh, consistent with my theme of getting out of the way, without further ado, Cynthia, the floor is yours. We're delighted to hear from you. Thank you, Hugh, uh, you're making a very warm introduction. And thanks for you and Michael for having me here today and Peter for put everything perfectly together. So good day, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for dialing in today. I'm Cynthia Wu. Um, I'm based in Hong Kong currently. So uh, a little bit of my, myself before I start, uh, so you know like all the context that I'm in. Uh, so I'm the founding partner of uh, a crypto financial service company called Matrix Board. Uh, so basically, I co-founded this startup with Jihan Wu and Zhong Ge, who were co-founders of Bitmain, which is the world's largest mining equipment manufacturer, uh, in early 2019. And we made this company one of the fastest growing uh, crypto unicorn in less than 2.5 years. So um, before I joined crypto full-time in 2018, uh, I was working uh, as a commodity trader in my first job, and then later I moved on to a regulated exchange market. Uh, I worked for HKEX for a couple of years, and then I dropped into the rabbit hole, and I'm where I am today. So it's a great honor to be here today and do a sharing on my favorite topic, crypto, and why I believe uh, blockchain and cryptocurrency is exciting and one of the greatest inventions in our lifetime. That is going to hugely benefit the world we live in. Uh, actually, at uh, next slide, please. Actually, at Matrix Board, we have a motto, which is make crypto easy for everyone. So given my task today is to explain everything I know in, in an easy to understand way with, with no jargon in 20 minutes. Uh, well, I think it's challenging enough, but let's get on and see how it goes. All right, <laughs> yeah, we can, yeah, uh, next slide, please. Uh, yes, okay, so let's start from a simple question. Uh, have you ever thought about what makes the backbone of our economic prosperity and the countless transactions that we make every day? That's right. It's something we cannot see or gauge, but it's invaluable. It is trust. So let's take transaction to its most simple form. Imagine like, person one wants to buy a coconut from person two for 10 bucks. 
in order to make the transaction possible, person two needs to believe person one is going to pay him 10 bucks after he passed a coconut. And also, these 10 bucks are real, not some counterfeit bills. Likewise, for person one, he needs to trust that by paying 10 bucks, he will get what he wants, the coconut. Uh, I, I think we, uh, we jumped to some slides. It should be the first. Uh, yeah, yeah, this slides, yes. Um, but to have each person to trust the other person is actually quite challenging. So people find someone they mutually trust, which is uh, on the right, the top uh, picture on the right. Uh, say an elderly from the village or a leader of a group that they can rely on for the trust. Therefore, it requires less direct trust between person one and person two. The mutually trusted person serves as a nexus of trust or intermediary who makes the entire system more efficient and deals get done easier and quicker. Then as the human society evolves, we find many different ways to make things more efficient by creating trusted entities, such as banks, escrow agents, exchanges, clearinghouses, law firms, industry groups, and so on and so on. And we impose tedious licensing requirements or ask for a large paid up capital to make these trusted entities legitimate and trustworthy. Because now the entry barrier is high so does the stake to do harm. And these entities become important intermediaries that act as a nexus of trust of our modern society and tie huge amount of transacting parties together and make numerous deals happen every day. But, but at the same time, these intermediaries over time, they themselves became the point of vulnerability or the center of bureaucracy. Some even enjoy a status of too big to fail or get bailed out when they default, which in another words means we as people, as ordinary citizens, have to live up with their inefficiency or even deficiency and end up paying for them. This became a paradox. Uh, next slide. So is there a better way? I'm sure many smart smartest people in the world are searching for the answer to this question. In the end, Eureka, in 2019, we found solution in mass. Satoshi Nakamoto invented a P2P cash system in 2019 and called that Bitcoin. And at the same time, he invented a system called blockchain. The idea of blockchain is exactly to remove a trusted party from the equation and replace it with a trustless network blockchain. So what is a trustless network? In the simplest language, it means the network does not rely on trust to operate. Person one can send money to person two without even knowing who the person two is. Blockchain has many traits. Um, next slide, please. Okay, so some of the traits I have lift, uh, listed on the left, right? So the first trait, uh, as we often uh, see on the newspaper, uh, on the website, it's distributed. So distributed ledger is a database that is con consensually shared, consensually shared and synchronized across all ledgers, right? There's not only one ledger, there's many ledgers and it's synchronized. So it allows transaction to have a public witness. The participant at each node, i.e. 
ledger of the network can access the database shared across that network and can own an identical copy of it. Any changes or additional change, uh, amendments made to the ledger are reflected across the network and copied to all nodes that's in the, the network in a matter of seconds or minutes. And the second trait is trustless, as we just explained, right? It does not rely on trust, it's rely on mass. Uh, and uh, and uh, and that's the capability of the ledger in solving the math problem fastest. Then they will have the right to basically make the next uh, block. And the third trait is immutable, which is also a very important trait. That means you cannot change what happened before, right? Nor you can change the sequence of the prior or, uh, transactions. What happened on the network is forever recorded as it the way it is, and the record is shared among all nodes on the network. So there could not be a mal actor who just wants to change it at its own will. It's not possible. And the last important trace is decentralization, decentralized. Uh, so the, the network, the ledger is not run from a single location. Instead, the ledger can be run from anywhere in this world, right? Can be big or small, uh, which create a decentralized network that's free from centralized control. And even a mon uh, cryptocurrencies monetary policy work in a decentralized manner. Like for example, the work of the Bitcoin miners, for example, involves verifying and validating the validating the transactions. But it also ensures the new Bitcoin are added to the system at a predictable, steady uh, pace. So Bitcoin's decentralization gives a very robust and secure system free from uh, centralized manipulation or abuse. Right. Okay. So next slide, please. Yeah. So so that technology has many traits, and we call it blockchain. And and now let's come back to the 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 the, the, the example we made just now. Right. Uh, the idea of uh, person one send money to person two. So in Bitcoin network, this is how it happens. Right. This is a summary of uh, a, a transaction uh, in the Bitcoin network. Um, so if person one wants to send money to person two, he needs to include person two's public key, which is equivalent to person two's account number. It's like uh, the, 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 the equivalent of bank, uh, bank account number of person two in the blockchain world. Uh, in this transaction, he needs to include a bank, uh, uh, person two, so the recipient's public key in the transaction. And also he needs to sign the transaction with his own private key. Private key means that it's equivalent to like uh, your pa uh, password of the your your bank accounts in in the crypto world. Uh, it is a proof that you own and control the funds. All right, so you have to sign with your own private key. And also, this transaction uh, includes the hash hash of the previous transactions, which actually con contains a summary of all previous transactions that ever happened before this transaction, and that's record cannot be altered. So with these measures, person two can be sure that when he receives person one's fund, it's really from person one. It's really sent from person one. And the fund is real. It's not double spended. See? So with this technology, we're actually uh, solving this problem, right? A trustless, a trustless payment network is now made possible. No, now, Everyone, now, now we all know that how these things fundamentally work. Um, can we turn to the next slide? 
So the next question uh, I often get asked is that why crypto has value, right? It's easier to explain now if you can understand why trustless network has value. Uh, because trust, trust is expensive. If you can create trust in a trustless way, you are eliminating the expensive intermediaries that act in between and lower the friction of transactions. You can make transactions that would not otherwise happen before happen now. So this is a value uh, of uh, trustless uh, 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 of blockchain. And it, this alone means a leap forward of efficiency and productivity. So to understand why crypto has value, it's very important to, to understand what value it provides, right? The first is that it's decentralized network, it's open source, no single party controls it, it's free from censorship and free from centralized control. No government or country can shut it down or alter, alter it at, at its own will, right? That's very important. And the second trait is that a Bitcoin, um, as most of you know, that has a fixed supply of 21 million Bitcoin, which is going to be depleted. Um, so the last Bitcoin is going to be mined in 2040, which is not, not very uh, far in the future. And that, that, is a monetary policy, uh, that, that is a monetary policy hard-coded in Bitcoin, right? So you can, nobody can change it. The world currently we live in is in an age of uh, inflation. Like it or not, the real inflation is way higher than many central banks' long-standing inflation targets. And so that's why we see Paul Tudor Jones shared earlier that he holds 2% of his portfolio in Bitcoin and he wants to get to 5% in gold, 5% in Bitcoin, 5% in cash and 5% in commodities. And also, I think his view is uh, echoed by Ray Dalio, who recently admitted that he preferred to hold Bitcoin than bonds in this market. So uh, another another important trait is that it is very unique to the, this virtual commodity is that um, compared to other commodity, right? Uh, this is a Bitcoin is a digital uh, or other cryptocurrency is a digital era creature, and it has a network effect like many digital era inventions such as internet or social uh, network sites. Right, the more people using it makes a wider uh, adoption and makes more value, uh, makes the network more valuable. So that's also uh, an interesting trait of this virtual commodity. And the last, of course, is utility. Uh, it has to be of some use, right? So one of the major benefits um, of Bitcoin is its ability to trans quickly transfer large amounts of value worldwide without the need of intermediaries. Right. So while it can be relatively expensive to spend a small amount of Bitcoin due to fees, it's also possible to send millions of dollars cheaply. So you can see, like, for example, a Bitcoin transaction worth like 50 million US dollars sent with a fee of less than 50 dollars. Right. That's quite a, a recent example. Right. Uh, and takes less than 10 minutes. So that's its unique um, uh, usability, like utility. Um, well, Bitcoin isn't the only network that makes this possible, uh, it, but it's still the largest and safest and also most popular one, right? And also Bitcoin uh, have something called a lightning network, which is a layer two solution um, built on top of the Bitcoin um, first layer. And that, that lightning network is to make small transactions possible and very cheap. So, so regardless of the amount, uh, it, it, Bitcoin would make it possible. 
to uh, make borderless transactions, and that's certainly valuable. And uh, if you look at Ethereum, there are much wider like user cases there. Right? Ethereum and the decentralized applications built on top of Ethereum unfold the various user cases, such as payments, lending and borrowing, trading, um, NFT, which stands for uh, non-fungible non tokens, issuance of assets, for example, or even like STO, security tokens, uh, etc., etc., etc. And people are creating products and services on chain in a similar pace as a way we see how software and internet companies build and prosper a decade ago, right? if not faster. Uh, I think there's a couple of uh, other key price drivers for cryptocurrency, which definitely is institutional adoption. We have seen banks, we have seen exchanges, and also um, uh, uh, more traditional financial players uh, trying to provide uh, services or participate into this market. And we definitely have in the past two years seen a very a tightened regulation and also a progressive approach towards taxation, which is uh, create some short-term pressure, but in the long term, it's good for the benefit. Uh, it is going to benefit this asset class to be more included in our incumbent financial network system. Um, and also recently we have seen some like 401k, which is retirement, uh, the US uh, individual retirement account um, uh, providers providing like you can invest up to 5% of your um, 401k uh, in, in, in cryptocurrency, right? And uh, we all know that uh, like 401k market is a huge market, it's a $22 trillion market, right? So imagine like other providers also start to do the same. That means a very big uh, potential demand from that, uh, from that perspective. Uh, next slide. Yeah, so this is some of the basically a short summary to summarize what is the Bitcoin market looks like now and the market cap for Bitcoin and the trading daily trading volume that like futures bought uh, combined uh, and also the realized volatility, uh, volatility average volatility per day as well as uh, the, the liquidity. Actually, if you want to buy like 100K um, US dollar worth of crypto, the the spread actually very, very, very narrow, right? So it's one of the most liquid assets um, in the world that trade 24-7. Next slide. Yeah, and this one shows you the, uh, the realized volatility uh, of Bitcoin uh, as well as Ethereum. Um, and as you can see, the realized volatility is still very high. It's like close to 100 for this two asset, right? So which is making it a very tradable asset. You have plenty of chances to buy low and sell high. And if you are selling options and to collect the premiums, as long as you don't go for very risky strike prices, you should get a pretty decent annualized return by collecting the 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 the, the, the premiums, keep selling the uh keep keep selling the options because I mean because the volatility is just very high. So it's very attractive to do that. Next slide. Yeah, and so this is put things into perspective. So how big is crypto uh, Bitcoin in, in in relation to some of other well-known like household names that uh, that we know, right? So um, Bitcoin now is like six hundred billion, and then um, as we can see, that silver is one point four trillion, and gold is eleven point uh, three trillion. And so we already see like Bitcoin move up the ranks over the past one year. 
So I think before, uh, yeah, in the next two or three years, uh, this the rank could uh, change quite a lot. So we can keep track of it. I, if you're interested in keep track, I can show you the websites who constantly like monitor all this, um, all these changes. Next slide. Yeah, this is a, a very interesting uh, chart that I like to 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 share. Uh, so basically, this is uh, uh, the survey done by Charles Schwab, which is uh, sorry, yeah, uh, done by Charles Schwab, and uh, it basically surveyed like uh, the 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 uh, IRA accounts of uh, a, a lot of uh, Americans, and basically to find out that uh, what their popular choices are. Um, in, in terms of investments uh, across different age groups. So if you look at the millenniums, uh, actually you can see all the top four names are those four names. And then the fifth one is actually called Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. So, so actually uh, that means it's, uh, for the millenniums, it's already quite common or, or quite popular to put cryptocurrency uh, alongside the other like uh, popular tech stocks they own. Right, and probably over the years, it's going to move up the ladder as well. Right, next slide. Yeah, so this chart is uh, is a summary of uh, basically I, I got from the uh, website called DeFi House. So it, it basically, uh, I think you probably heard of what DeFi is. So DeFi stands for decentralized finance. Uh, and this value uh, on the left, uh, called total value locked, will basically uh, represent the size of the DeFi world. It's it's like the AUM in the that locked in the DeFi smart contract. So uh, this ch uh, chart was updated a few weeks ago. Now I think it's bigger than this now. It's 65 billion as of today, uh, which actually compared to uh, the data from uh, one year ago actually grew 30 times. So it grew 30 times over the course of the last 12 months, right? And also on, on the decentralized finance, we have uh, recently seen there has been 150 million unique Ethereum, uh, Ethereum addresses being created on DeFi, which stands for the, uh, the representation of the user demand um, on, uh, that, uh, that's actually on DeFi. So what is DeFi? What is decentralized finance? Um, so actually, the term decentralized finance covers uh, financial services carried out on a blockchain. Uh, so it involves taking some traditional elements of the financial system and replace the middleman with a smart contract. So for DeFi to work, it needs a decentralized infrastructure to, to infrastructure to run on. This is where the Ethereum blockchain come into play. So most of the DeFi protocols are built on Ethereum today. But there are also uh, some competing like chains uh, trying to uh, take market share from Ethereum. Uh, there are also like DeFi projects built on, for example, BSC, um, Polkadot, Polygon, and Solana, some other chains, right? But uh, as of today, Ethereum is still the most popular um, infrastructure that DeFi uh, D apps got built on. So, what are the popular uh, DeFi services out there? The biggest uh, DeFi user case is lending and borrowing. Uh, actually, 50% of the DeFi's market share is, uh, is taken by the 
protocols that uh, does lending and borrowing. So later I'm going to give you one example. And the second place is um, taken by application that does the change. So it's called the DEX, decentralized exchange. So uh, basically help you to exchange uh, from one asset to another, um, uh, just like centralized exchange, but it's, this uh, service is built on chain, right? So the decentralized exchange takes around 35% of the market share in DeFi, and the rest of uh, like 15% of market share is taken by some other DeFi applications, such as derivatives trading, prediction markets, like NFT, uh, which stands for non-fungible token, uh, which uh, as of today mostly are arts, art pieces, digital art pieces, um, payments, synthetic uh, assets, and insurances. Uh, as you can see, a lot of these are basically trying to um, re renovate, uh, uh, revolutionize the the way we are doing um, some of these financial services uh, in the centralized way. So it get copied um, and and uh, reinvented. Uh, on the blockchain and basically made possible by uh, DeFi uh, by writing different smart contracts. So, so that's what I say. Uh, we're actually seeing that the parallel financial market being built uh, on blockchain uh, with all this initiative, and it's only happened in the past like two three years. All this really happened quite recently. But as you can see, last year the the, the entire market of DeFi has grown thirty times i mean in the future it's probably going to be continue this exponential growth uh so uh over time uh, i think the the size and the the, the, the amount of value uh, that got transacted in this way is going to be most significant until a point where it's going to uh, be alternative really uh, alternative uh, solution of how people uh, use or get access to financial services uh, so speaking of interrupting you, Cynthia, but uh, yeah. two minutes question time, if that's okay with you. Yeah, sure. Uh, I think yeah, uh, two minutes, right? So uh, yeah, so I think uh, just to sum summarize, uh, I have given some example here. Like one is uh, the one is uh, the uh, a popular lending and borrowing um, DeFi project called Compound. Basically, it uh, allows a borrower to take loans and lender to provide loans uh, through smart contracts, right? So I basically summarize how a simple transaction could happen here. So um, yeah, this is getting very popular. You, for example, you can stake your uh, native cryptocurrency, for example, Ethereum, and you can borrow like DAI, which is a uh, 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 which is a stable coin. And at the same time, you can get a C token, CETH, which is a representation that you of you staking uh, into this platform. And you can get your interest through the C token, CETH token. So this is basically a lending borrowing in the real time, uh, in the real world made possible on chain. Uh, next slide. Yeah, so the next slide is another example, which is uh, popular, the most popular decentralized exchange called Uniswap. So basically, uh, it, uh, it, it's built on Ethereum as well. It allows you to swap any token to another token, uh, ERC20 token to another token. So it's made possible by uh, providing, uh, to, to, to create something like a constant product market maker model, which uh, 
like for example, asset A and asset B, basically uh, the quantity of asset A and B always equal to K, so which is uh, gives you this curve. And uh, the, the, you can, uh, uh, basically the price of the, uh, the A and B is determined by the demand to, to transact uh, according to, to this uh, formula. Um, so basically, let's say A and B start with 10 units in this pool. And uh, a, a girl, a, a person want to spend one unit of A for B. So basically, he's putting one unit of A in this uh, pool. So it becomes 11, right? Well, take take B out of it. So actually, the because A times B always equal to K. So actually, you can calculate what is the amount of B it take out of the the, the pool so that is going to determine the price of the b so this is how the, all these things made simple because otherwise in the traditional centralized exchange you will need a lot of market makers to make a market for for uh for 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 a trading pair right for asset to to do the price discovery but in the DeFi world with this simple simplified market maker model which is a formula essentially you can basically supply the uh liquidity uh, into the in into the uh, into the pool. Um, basically, anyone can do it, and one and anyone can take liquidity from it, which is made possible by a simple formula and a smart contract. So that's quite amazing. Uh, you can basically list any uh, asset that you want to transact in our ERC twenty format into the pool, and um, yeah, you you and which is permissionless. Next slide. Yeah, so uh, I guess to sum up, I think a lot of people want to understand like, what we can do in crypto. So I, I would summarize some of the approaches you can have when you invest or participate into crypto. The first is, of course, spot you can buy and hold, right? And wait for the price to go higher. And second, that you can trade, right? Because we just share the volatility, it's very attractive. You can definitely make um, uh, seize the opportunity um, to buy low and sell high. And the third is that uh, you can get your yield through the lending because uh, because the, the 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 market currently is giving a relatively high yield compared to how you put the money in the bank. For example, in the bank, probably pay you less than one percent, right? In crypto world, it's easily you get paid in stable coins six or to eight percent, which is quite attractive. And options, as we just say, the uh, underlying volatility is high, so you can make money by selling options uh, over time, and you should accumulate a pretty decent uh, premium. Uh, and also DeFi, we just participate, uh, uh, explained uh, through two examples that you can provide liquidity into the DeFi protocol and gain a yield. And also, you can forgive me, but I think we do need to move to the, the questions and answers. I'm delighted oh, sure. to say that your material is available, and I can tell you that we have had an outstanding set of questions come in. So your presentation has clearly spurred much interest. Um, sure. So I've got one here from Lucas Marsden Smedley, which says, "What's your view on how crypto is being used by organized crime?" Cryptocurrencies have led to a dramatic rise in ransomware attacks, etc., and facilitate a huge range of criminal finances. 
I think I've recently seen some data that's actually compiled by an organization, I forgot the name, which actually to, I, I think probably chain analysis, the, 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 the organization called chain analysis. So what they do is they do on-chain mo uh, transaction monitoring. So basically they try to trace what the, whether uh, the transaction coming from some problematic like, uh, uh, or risky, like basically, uh, or um, like origins, right? So basically they already are technologies and service vendors uh, available doing all that. Actually for our services also integrates with some of these providers like, to be able to track whether those funds are clean or not. So the technology available uh, uh, in that regard, I think they recently launched a paper like report just to trace like how many of that transactions are actually from this uh, counter terrorist uh, basically fund or, or 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 money laundering or online gambling or human trafficking whatever uh, all this I, mean, I think the percentage is probably less than 10 percent so I think it's a myth that people still believe that's a, that's a major use case for crypto I think I mean, yeah, it's a permissionless network, so everyone can use it. Of course, it's going to be used by good actors and bad actors. It's always bad actor there. But I think with on-chain uh, monitoring system, uh, more getting more and more powerful, and they, the 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 way and the the, the capability they can um, analyze and trace this uh, uh, problematic transactions is going to improve over time as well. So I I, I think it's going to be. Uh, eventually be part of the similar to a AML sort of a QIC of FAFT sort of initiative it's going to be able to fall under those initiatives as part of our efforts uh, across re uh, regions and regulators to combat uh, money laundering and uh, CFT yeah thank you very much yeah Dilip Dalal, who is like yourself, up late in the evening in Mumbai, asks, will cryptocurrency replace coins and notes, meaning that will banks as intermediaries be going out of business? Uh, I think we're talking about the two system, right? This one system, which is uh, called a fiat uh, currency, which is basically essentially issued by governments and central banks. Uh, and being issued according to their monetary policy, and uh, and backed actually by by the taxation, right? Essentially, it's a, the the currency, the fiat currency is a country's debt, right? So that's that's the definition of fiat currency. I, I do think that's always going to exist as long as a nation, as a form of uh, organization, is going, going, always going to exist in in uh, on planet. Um, I, I do think uh, like cryptocurrency is another form of uh, uh, currency, which is super national, right? It's not issued backed by a single sovereign government's uh, credibility. It, it is, uh, it is uh, basically, as I just mentioned, is created by a trustless network and it's decentralized, distributed. Uh, so, so I, I don't think they are the same kind of creature. So I don't think one is going to eventually replace the other. I think they're both going to coexist. And I think the banks in the future, uh, as they can process the fiat currency payment, whatever, trade finance, everything, uh, they would, uh, as cryptocurrency get more mainstream, uh, they will find a way to provide services 
um, financial services around this asset class as well, like how they uh, service some of the other alternative asset class. So I, I, I do think, um, so, so to answer your question, I don't think one is going to replace other. They're going to uh, coexist as an alternative to fiat currency. Uh, and the banks and the major uh, financial institutions will find a way to handle and provide services for cryptocurrency as well in the future. Thank you very much. Phil Williams asks, are you concerned about the huge amount of power used to mine the coins? Uh, you mean the uh, the energy consumption, right? Yeah. So energy yeah. consumption. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think uh, cryptocurrency, I think, uh, is uh, probably uh, uh, consuming, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, I think roughly consume the uh, the power that uh, a country like Denmark consume. Right? So that's not very huge, but it's not very small either, right? So there's a lot of... Uh, Debates and discussions towards like uh, should they cons should should Bitcoin consume that power? Uh, I think it's uh, I, I think it, I mean we, we need to find the right benchmark like reference to to discuss this uh, question and put things into context. I think the right benchmark is the uh, the current incumbent banking system because uh, cryptocurrency, especially Bitcoin, is providing alternative payment system, right? Uh, which is a uh, function on a global scale. Uh, so it's going to consume some power in order to make sure it's a trustworthy uh, and secure network because it's, it's rely on proof of work, which is going to solve problems and burn basically uh, power uh, to, 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 to power the mining machines to solve that mass problem and eventually to make this uh, system fair and robust and secure. So that's what it requires to, 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 to build and uphold this system. So compared to, uh, I think there was a report done by a big four auditing firm, which is to compare uh, collectively how much bank, how much energy bank actually use. Uh, I think that number is higher than the number that Bitcoin burns every day, uh, every year. Uh, and also, uh, we must note that a lot of the energy that Bitcoin uses is actually renewable energies. Uh, actually, it's getting more and more uh, green in terms of energy composition uh, because a lot of the energy used is hydropower uh, and also natural gas. So a lot of this actually does not give a, a carbon print. And we are also seeing uh, important initiatives in North America and also Asia trying to promote the a green Bitcoin, which means that um, the, whatever carbon credit is going to produce through the uh, process of mining is going to be neutralized uh, um, by purchasing the carbon credit. So if eventually, I think it's possible, in my personal opinion, that the Bitcoin could be a greener uh, or could uh, be a market, uh, carbon neutral uh, uh, asset uh, even before uh, like 2030, like before like uh, uh, banking system claim um, a carbon neutral. So I think that I'm still quite hopeful of that. I think I'm seeing good initiatives that people are working towards this direction, including tech, uh, uh, Tesla claiming that they want to put green only green Bitcoin on their balance sheet, right? With all this ESG effort globally, especially for listed companies, I think this is going to be, to happen. Very good. 
Edwina Morton builds on the theme and says, Bitcoin may solve one problem, but it creates others that you've discussed, used extensively on the dark web, consumes huge amounts of electricity, makes public finances unstable, potentially. Blockchain as a technology may have some good uses, but surely cryptocurrencies are a threat to stable government finances and hence to social solidarity and democratic stability, she suggests. Uh. Yeah, I think I have partly, partially uh, answered some of these uh, concerns. Yeah, I, I think uh, the public the, finances point is probably yeah. an interesting one, if you wouldn't mind picking up on it. Yeah, uh, thank you for the question. I think uh, actually Bitcoin was born in a, uh, in a stage of financial crisis back in 2019, uh, uh, when uh, basically the government is bailing out the banks and uh, their the, the central banks uh, worldwide uh, 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 switch on to uh, money printing mode. Um, so uh, the, as a consequence of that, actually, uh, a lot of uh, ordinary citizens' uh, wealth has been diluted because of the inflation and the, the hype of uh, the, uh, the, the, the basically uh, uh, property price and, and basically uh, uh, the other assets, right? So. Um, I think that's the, the the backdrop when Bitcoin was first invented, and the reason why last year when uh, COVID nineteen hits and uh, the money printing uh, got back in in the way again uh, globally, and um, uh, you see uh, basically a deja vu of what happened like ten years ago. Uh, that's exactly when um, Bitcoin actually have uh, seized the second wave of its uh, like big adoption. Like, people start to look at this value, realize the value that it provides, and uh, mainstream uh, institutions start to uh, try to understand it or incorporate it into its plans. So uh, I think it definitely is trying to, so, so the solution, uh, so, so the value proposition of Bitcoin is to provide alternatives that you otherwise do not have, right? Because otherwise you do not have that way to preserve your wealth uh, if you only have one, uh, one, one way, which is to hold the fiat currency. You cannot uh, fight against those inflation, right? So I, I think cryptocurrency exactly, uh, especially Bitcoin was invented with, uh, with the vision to provide alternative, uh, uh, monetary system, monetary policy that no one can easily alter. Uh, so I, I personally, I do not think, uh, depends on what side you take, right? I do not really think it's a threat, uh, unless if you are standing from the perspective that uh, believing that fiat uh, currency is the only legitimate regime. I, I think if that's uh, uh, the assumption, then, uh, probably will get to that uh this um conclusion but if you uh if, if you're like me that i do not believe that's only possible uh regime in this world i do think there should be uh other alternative coexisting which i do see uh bitcoin or uh or, or cryptocurrency as one of the viable uh system that exists on this world then I probably would not get to the same conclusion.
Very good. Thank you. We're probably down to the last two or three questions. Uh, Cheryl Winter asks, what checks are there when you make a $50 million payment, which will avoid the normal checking of intermediaries? Isn't it the laundered money? Well, you mean what? What? Sorry, I missed the first so if, half. If you make a $50 million payment through Bitcoin channels, isn't that money laundering? Doesn't it avoid the normal intermediary checks? Uh. I mean, this is uh, what made possible, right, by the technology. I mean, I, I think whether it's money laundering or whether it's a payment with the right, uh, with with the right cost and proof, that's a diff uh, that's another uh, that's another thing, right? I mean, it doesn't mean that if, for example, I can pay my supplier in in cryptocurrency if my supplier. Uh, agree to receive that. I don't think that necessarily make it uh, money laundry. Thank you. Christopher Williams asks, how concerning are the fraud investigations into Tether and the attack on Binance in the US on BTC? What do you think of the risk of further anti-crypto moves by the PBOC? Uh, yeah, I think there's three questions. One is about the uh, in investigation in Tether. Uh, one is about uh, the crackdown of mining or crypto activities in China. And the third is about the Binance global sort of uh, regulatory pressure, right? Uh, yeah, let me take, uh, yeah, take the question one by one. The first is about Tether. Um, Tether is uh, the earliest uh, stablecoin and also by, by far the largest uh, stablecoin by market cap. Uh, uh, so it always has been uh, uh, being a potential uh, sort of, uh, how to say, there always has been discussions uh, uh, with uh, the U.S. regulators about um, the com uh, compliance status of this uh, 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 cryptocurrency uh, stablecoin, especially especially uh, when the investigation has been centered around like whether they have enough uh, collaterals behind uh, the, in the reserve to, to support the issuance of the uh, USDT. Uh, I think that's a valid uh, investigation because uh, that is eventually going to determine whether this stablecoin is stable or not, right? And what is the worth of it? So I, I think that's super important, especially consider that uh, USDT has become one of the most important infrastructure in the crypto world and being as used as uh, the 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 medium of transactions by many, right? So I think that definitely is a valid, very valid question to ask. Uh, I, I do think there is a potential risk that's coming out from the investigation um, and the conclusion from this investigation of Tether. Um, so I think uh, this is not, uh, uh, so I'm not the only one who have concern in that. I'm sure a lot of uh, market practitioners, they, they also share the concern. Uh, that's why I think the more compliant and transparent stablecoin would have a market to grow, right? That's why actually uh, in the last two years, we have seen another um, other more compliant and transparent uh, uh, stablecoin like USDC and uh, um, and a few others, Paxo, uh, Paxo USD, 
uh, they have been like gaining market share, especially USDC. Uh, people like it because it's more transparent and the reserve is audited by one of the uh, major uh, auditing firms. So people feel more comfortable that uh, with the issuance of USDC, they actually have the full 100% collateral behind it, which uh, they can trust. So I, I do think the this world is uh, uh, further scrutinizing uh, those players that uh, overlook the regulatory compliance part of it and going to give uh, chances of growth for those people who does better in that. So for sure, that's my answer to the first question. The second is about uh, Binance, the global regulatory pressure. Uh, I do think that's going to happen. Actually, even before it happens, we feel that uh, as a uh, cryptocurrency get to a certain stage, it's going to be uh, more and more mainstream. And uh, uh, the regulators are going to look at the way uh, the way that they regulate some of the other stuffs, right? So uh, it's going to include the regulation into their existing uh, regulatory framework. So that's where uh, most of the collision is going to happen. Uh, I think what we see on Binance is just a manifest of uh, that kind of collision, which is going to, uh, I think, persist for the next uh, few years uh, until the moment where um, the regulators has uh, fully incorporated uh, this new asset class uh, into the existing incumbent uh, uh, regulatory regime. I think that's, you're going to see similar things uh, happen across the world. Um, Thank and you very much, Cynthia. Yeah. Yeah. One final slightly cheeky question. You should feel free not to answer this question. But Donald McRae asks, do you personally own any cryptocurrency assets? Oh, yes, I do. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Cynthia, that is absolutely outstanding. And thanks also to all our questioners. I'm sorry I couldn't get through all the questions, but they are truly outstanding. As well as, of course, Cynthia, we wouldn't be able to run this without our sponsors. So thank you very much to all our sponsors. Uh, and I refer you to upcoming events of similar quality and interest, uh, which you can also find on the website. And I commend them all to you. Uh, so once more, with my profound thanks to Cynthia for an outstanding session, my thanks to the audience, and thank you for listening and such great questions. Um, I will bring proceedings to a close, and I wish you a tremendous rest of the day, evening, night. Thank you so much. Goodbye for thank now. Thank you for the questions, and thanks, Hugh, for having me.